Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On this edition of the Pro Wrestling Index, Mo Chatra and myself break down WWE Roadblock. We discuss a recap of WWE Raw. The road to WrestleMania is shaping up and we discuss it. We also have some big news on Lucha Underground, an update on TNA Wrestling. The Hall of Fame inductions are coming together for 2016, and we'll discuss that and so much more. I'm Matt Topolsky, and the Pro Wrestling Index starts right now. Even though lately you've had some sunny days, my friend. That's gotta be, that's gotta be Kane! Welcome to another edition of the Pro Wrestling Index, and I want to first start off by apologizing because we've been away for a little bit, but we're back, and we've got plenty to talk about on this week's edition of PWI. I'm your host, Matt Topolsky, and joining me, as always, is the expert analyst, my co-commentating colleague from across the pond, Mo Chatra. Mo, it's been a while. We're back. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing superb, Matt. I'm absolutely great. And uh, how are you doing? Oh, fantastic. A little, a little overworked, but that's okay. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's it's as as Michael Corleone would say, it's the price I pay for the life I choose. So <laughs> it's all right. Indeed, indeed. No rest for the wicked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, we've got a very special show planned for everybody this week uh, on the Pro Wrestling Index, and a lot to talk about, Mo. Uh, So why don't we start things off with WWE Roadblock, which took place Saturday night on the WWE Network. This took place from Toronto, and uh, there were plenty of sports references regarding Canada and uh, and some derogatory things that Chris Jericho said about Canada as well that we'll get into here in a few minutes. But um, overall, I thought a pretty good show. Uh, I thought it was fairly enjoyable. Uh, Not not a whole lot of hype really going into this thing. And, uh, you know, as you stated before we came on the podcast, sort of like a, um, a glorified house show, if you will. But I, I thought I had a good feel to it. It's kind of a, a throwback event in a little bit. The, the set was sort of understated, but it was something different and something that I really enjoyed. What did you think of this event? Yeah, I agree. Um, it was a nice little, uh, kind of self-contained show almost. Um, obviously, there was a bit of build-up in the week or two leading up to the event on Raw and SmackDown, and that set up most of the matches on the show. Um, clearly, it wasn't a traditional 
main show, pay-per-view type show. Um, so the guys and girls going out there weren't going to uh, go full pelt, put out 100% effort into the matches. Um, but nonetheless, it was still an enjoyable show. Um, nothing that absolutely sucked. Um, and several good matches, I thought. So, yeah, it was a, it was a perfectly acceptable um, sub-three-hour event. Very good. Yeah. Uh, well, things started off on the show with the New Day defending their tag team titles against the League of Nations. Personally, I haven't been that high on the League of Nations, but overall, I thought this matchup was very enjoyable. We also saw the New Day make their introduction of Bootio cereal. I don't know if you've gotten your Bootios yet, uh, Mo, but it's the Breakfast of Champions, I understand. Available at www.shop.com. So <laughs> can't wait to order my five or six boxes. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of this match, though, overall? The New Day uh, continue their, their turn to, uh, to a babyface tag team, I believe, and uh, good rub for them in this to get the victory. Yes, it was. I mean, League of Nations is comprised of people who've been at various points in the last few years. Um, WWE headline acts, um, even if um, ultimately they've not become bona fide headliners. But... Uh, yeah, it was a good rub for them. Um, you could argue the other way was dragging those guys in the League of Nations even further down into mid mid card obscurity. Um, but it was it was a it was a good match. I thought um, they worked hard. I mean, it had a nice good finish to it. Um, pleasing as well with Biggie uh, going over. So um, I, I I quite enjoyed it. And um, nice to see the title reign continue um, leading into Raw the next night. Yeah. Uh, Next up was Chris Jericho making his way out to the arena. So Chris Jericho is in his home country of Canada. He has since made the turn on AJ Styles, which I think is something that we all saw coming, something we all predicted. Uh, But nevertheless, he comes out and uh, he was unmoved by the cheers that greeted him because as soon as he stepped into the ring and grabbed a microphone, it was glorious heel Jericho shaming his Canadian heritage. And as the crowd erupted in a chorus of boos, he called his move to Florida a few years ago, quote, the smartest move I ever made, <laughs> end quote. And uh, and then everybody's favorite wrestler, Jack Swagger, came out. And they had um, a pretty lackluster match. Thanks, Jack Swagger, in my opinion. But anyway, Chris Jericho over. And uh, it looks like they're moving to the eventual Chris Jericho versus AJ Styles match at WrestleMania. Well, that's right. Um, Jericho got a good promo. Um, shades of his um, very subdued, monotone, um, understated kind of heel character of about eight, nine years, well, about seven, eight years ago um, in his promo delivery. Um, but no, that, that was quite good. Bit of a bizarre decision to bring in Jack Swagger as opponent, though, because, you know, Chris Jericho's there giving it all of the anti-Canadian stuff, and then out comes um, the all-American Jack Swagger. Uh, so uh, crowd found that a bit strange and um, didn't exactly get behind Jack Swagger, um, largely because he's almost been like a glorified jobber last three, four years. So um, it was it was a fine match in a way, um, but just a bit of a strange decision to put Swagger in that spot. Yeah, I mean, you actually have to be on the show to be a jobber. We haven't even seen him on the show. Um, so, uh, but uh, to be fair, I guess they had to, to feed somebody to Chris Jericho. And uh, as you stated, it was a glorified house show. So why not have Jack Swagger 
work the house show on the network. But um, I am looking forward to what they're going to do at WrestleMania with Chris Jericho and AJ Styles. And I think um, uh, AJ going over on Jericho at the biggest show of the year or as Vince McMahon has called it, the showcase of the immortals would be a huge moment for AJ Styles in his career. Uh, next up was the NXT tag team titles up for grabs. The crowd was very, very hot for this match, and it featured Enzo Amore and Big Cass against the Revival. That's right. They are now calling them the Revival, branding um, Dash and Dawson. I, I think it's the dumbest name I've heard for a tag team in quite some time. I understand why they want to go there. But if they're an old school tag team, why not just call them Dash and Dawson? I mean, do we really need this whole revival thing? Anyway, I digress. Uh, great match overall, in my humble opinion. Uh, a lot of NXT chants during this. Uh, I mean, I think of any characters or any performers that were over the most on Saturday night, Enzo Amore and Big Cass were definitely over with this crowd, over like Rover. And uh, it's a demonstration that it's time for them to move up to the main roster. And the fact that we had the um, the revival uh, retaining their titles in this match, I think, indicates to me that uh, we're going to see Enzo Amore and Big Cass on their way up to the main roster very shortly. It would be a travesty if they aren't called up soon. Um, you know, they, they look like they belong on the stage and uh, performed like um, true main roster superstars. They really, really looked the part. Uh, they worked really hard. You can see in their eyes as well that it really meant something to them. Um, in, in, indeed, to both teams, uh, for that matter. Um, you know, both uh, teams really put in a great effort and... Uh, well, it's a really, really good match, and um, you know they they certainly made a very strong case for a call up over the coming weeks and months. And uh, as we've talked about length on this podcast um, in recent months, the tag team division really could do with a, a shot or two in the arm, and that could come in the form of NXT tag teams um, being promoted onto the main roster. Yeah, absolutely. And they're and they're definitely deserving and ready to go up. I don't think there's any doubt about it at all. Uh, I look forward to seeing what they and the New Day could do together in the near future. Uh, could be big money for the WWE tag team division. Mm. Next up, the Divas Championship was up for grabs. Natalia against Charlotte, a member of the Hart family versus a flair. Not bad. I mean, I, and, and to be fair, I thought the match was pretty good. I enjoyed it. The crowd seemed to be into it. Charlotte obviously retained the title. But uh, once again, I think good business for the Divas division. What did you think of this match? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, Charlotte, Dave Hendricks' favorite female wrestler, um, <laughs> continues to just come on in leaps and bounds in terms of character. Um, one of the things that was a big criticism of her um, up until about two, three months ago, really when they, they turned the heel, was um, that she lacks personality, she lacks mic skills, um, she doesn't have that kind of presence um, that somebody like uh, Nikki Bella does well. Since then, I think Charlotte, in terms of the personality side, is really, really... Uh, come out of a shell and um, is arguably uh, the best old school type heel uh, on the roster at the moment. Um, I really do think that um, she performs that heel role really well, doesn't try to be coming across like a cool heel and um, 
on top of that, even in her work, I mean, she does those little things which she's clearly picked up from her dad um, that just get her over his heel. And uh, she does it really, really well. And she's just improving week on week. And it's really pleasing to see. And I thought this was possibly a best main roster match to date. And, uh, you know, Natalia's a, a good talent, but somebody who's never really in my opinion, shown exactly what she's capable of. Um, but this was the f- one of the few times where uh, she really, really got to show her stuff. And uh, overall, it turned out into a heck of a match. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now this is setting up, and if we have time later in the show, uh, we'll obviously kind of get into the WrestleMania card that is shaping up. But just talking about this very quickly on Charlotte, uh, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, Charlotte, triple threat for the Divas Championship at WrestleMania. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of Sasha Banks, but at this stage in the game, seeing what Charlotte has accomplished uh, and where she's going and how she is evolving as a heel, I would not be upset in the least bit if she walked out of WrestleMania retaining the Divas Championship and continued her run. What say you about that? I agree, absolutely. Um, Up until a few weeks ago, I would have thought it's almost a foregone conclusion that Sasha Banks walks out of that match, um, whether it was going to be a singles match at that time or a triple threat. I thought for sure Sasha Banks will emerge victorious, become the new um, champion. Um, Less far gone of a conclusion is that now, because so strong has Charlotte been in that heel role, um, it's almost difficult to see her without that title now. Um, and, you know, there's a, certainly a case to be made that, you know, that title run should continue for a few more months yet. And maybe um, an event even as far away as SummerSlam might be the time to uh, see a title change and really build up to that occasion. Um, so she's really, really um, impressing. And, uh, you know, it's certainly not uh, the case that she will drop the title at WrestleMania. She's really raised her game, in my opinion, as a legitimate fighter, as a legitimate threat inside the squared circle, not just somebody who is pleasant to the eye, not somebody who is just an empowered woman. And, and, and that was the sense that I got from what they were trying to portray with Nikki Bella, which is here's somebody who is extremely attractive, somebody who can be a huge crossover star for you. And then somebody who can also compete and is getting better inside the squared circle. Charlotte, to me, seems like a much more fierce competitor from a kayfabe standpoint, a much more well-rounded competitor, excuse me. And uh, it it models similar uh, things to what we're seeing right now in UFC with Misha Tate, for example. So if WWE wants to allow her to continue to develop as a champion, and as a real threat in the Divas division, I think it will ultimately raise the stakes for everybody who's involved in the Divas division and will legitimize that title in a way that it hasn't been in the past. And I mean no disrespect to other champions who have carried it, but what I'm saying is that right now Charlotte's giving off that vibe that she could really kick your ass, whether you're a woman or a man, and she's carrying that title around. She's looking good while she's doing it, and I think that's great news for WWE and the Divas division. It is, yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, you know, she comes across like a genuine bona fide athlete, and uh, that's part of the reason why they debuted her in those um, introductory vignettes for uh, Tap Out's new uh, range of T-shirts and apparel, uh, which we saw almost a year ago at WrestleMania last year, 
and she was featured in that. And, uh, you know, there's a good reason for that is that she comes across as a, a genuine athlete and, um, you know, she certainly has that aura about her and that, that continues to develop week on week. Yeah, and let me make a bold prediction before we move on from this very quickly. I do believe that at some point in the not-too-distant future, we will see a Divas title match between Charlotte and Ronda Rousey. Let's see if I'm right. Wow. Next up, the Beast Incarnate. Brock Lesnar was supposed to face Bray Wyatt. This matchup was changed to a two-on-one match, which really became a one-on-one match between Luke Harper and Brock Lesnar with Bray Wyatt simply standing on the outside of the ring and doing nothing. Now, I've heard different reports that Bray Wyatt is suffering from a back injury. I've also heard other reports that they wanted to keep Bray Wyatt out of this match because he's been losing so much recently. What have you heard, if anything, Mo, regarding what happened to Bray Wyatt in this match and why a change may have been made? And what do you think of this match on Roadblock? Um, yeah, it seems to be clouded in mystery. I've not heard anything definitive about exactly why um, Bray Wyatt missed the match. Um, it seemed quite strange. I mean, they were very clear in the, the talk for a couple of weeks leading to the match was it would be a singles match. And yet during the show with very little explanation, it became a two-on-one handicap match. And uh, Brock Lesnar does what Brock Lesnar does and uh, um, kicked ass or ass, as you'd say in Texas, and uh, uh, <laughs> took Harper down uh, quite easily and convincingly. And uh, it was almost like a glorified squash match, uh, very one-sided. And, um, yeah, it set things up nicely for uh, WrestleMania, where Brock Lesnar will face a different opponent. Um, but it didn't really do much for Bray, um, given that he doesn't really have a firm opponent lined up for the show. So, uh bit confusing as to where Bray Wyatt and his uh, cronies are going um, leading into WrestleMania and beyond, um, but certainly a good showcase for Brock in terms of uh, letting him do his uh, whole suplex thing. You know, it's interesting in the way that Dean Ambrose was presented at this event and the way that Brock Lesnar was presented at this event uh, and now heading into WrestleMania with a match between them. I'm not sure if WWE did Dean Ambrose a great service by having him lose clean to Triple H the way that he did. Uh, And I'm not sure that they did Brock Lesnar a great service by having him in a squash match against a forgettable person. Now, I've heard people say, well, you know, Luke Harper's a great worker. And that's all well and good, but I'm not talking about his work. I'm talking about his character. I'm talking about the legitimacy of his character on, um, on television. So... If this match wasn't going to happen between Bray Wyatt and Brock Lesnar in the first place, then why promote it to happen? It just seems very bizarre to me. But um, I don't know. We'll find. I mean, perhaps we'll find out in the next few weeks. We've got two weeks to go uh, in the lead-up to WrestleMania, or two more Monday Night Raws, if you will. Uh, we also had a Sami Zayn debut on this show. He took on Stardust. Uh, the disaster kick nearly spoiled Zayn's debut, I guess you could say, on a WWE special event. But the Montreal native or hit him with an exploder suplex and then put uh, Stardust away with the uh, the hell of a kick. Uh, what did you think of this match in Sami Zayn's debut? Were you impressed? It was an okay match. I was a bit worried before the match because if you remember uh, when he debuted on Raw last year against John Cena, um, he popped his uh, shoulder 
um, just by flinging his arms up in the air. And he did the same thing before this match. I thought, oh, no, don't do that, don't do that. Um, he did, and luckily um, he escaped unscathed, no injury there. Uh, the match itself went on a bit too long, though, and uh, I don't really rate Stardust. I don't think he's a particularly great worker, even a good worker for that matter. And um, he didn't really build any great heat. Um, I mean, he had a, a good spell of offense uh, for much of the middle part of the match. And um, when Sami Zayn made his comeback, um, it didn't really get the crowd going. And that's partly because uh, Stardust was so ineffective um, in building up the heat. So um, it was a bit of an underwhelming effort. Not a bad match. Um, it was okay. Um, but you know, had it been maybe five minutes shorter and had Stardust... Uh, been replaced by a more competent uh, opponent for Sammy, um, it would have been a good match. But uh, it was what it was. It was good to see Sammy Zayn go over at the very least, and um, hopefully he'll, uh, you know, springboard on from there and uh, really become a, a breakout star for the WWE main roster in 2016. You know, there was some news that broke earlier today on Twitter regarding Adrian Neville. Uh, or as WWE now refers to him, just Neville, uh, the man that WWE forgot his first name. Uh, unfortunately for Neville, he has sustained what what is being called a, a significant or serious ankle injury and is expected now to miss WrestleMania. There were some rumors regarding the Intercontinental Championship and a possible multi-man match, which would feature Neville for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, there's also been this this rumored lightweight or cruiserweight tournament coming up on the WWE Network that we all expected Neville would be involved in. It looks like he could miss that as well. So a huge blow to Neville. But um, it does open the door. If there is a silver lining here in anything, it does open the door to a possible one-on-one -on -one Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn match for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania. And in my mind... Uh, although some can argue, why does this guy deserve a title shot as soon as he walks in? Uh, from a story perspective, it makes a lot of sense when you consider the history that Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens have between each other, going all the way back to the days of El Generico and Kevin Steen and all everything that they did together in NXT. So um, is that something that would pique your interest? Would you like to see Kevin Owens defend that title against Sami Zayn at WrestleMania? Would it make sense from a story perspective? Oh, yeah, absolutely, it would. Um, you know, WWE has obviously got access to its own NXT uh, material, and clearly they've um, done some good stuff um, on NXT in the last uh, year to 18 months. So um, that, as well as the other material from like the PWG and Ring of Honor, which those promotions would be more than happy to provide if WWE wanted to use that backstory as well, um, would all make for... Uh, a very good angle um, and storyline leading into WrestleMania. I know there'd been talk about um, the IC title being defending as part of a, a multi-man match, perhaps a ladder match. Um, but my strong preference would be for these two guys um, to go at it in a singles contest. And if they were to do that, I think it could easily steal the show. These guys have had some unbelievable matches um, around the independent scene over the last 10, 12 years. And they're both amazing talents. And give them the stage, give them the time, give them the opportunity, and they will take you with both hands and put on a hell of a show. 
Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I don't know what uh, what Sami Zayn's actual walking around weight is right now. I mean, I know uh, what what they may bill him as, but Sami Zayn for me is a guy that could potentially even fit into that cruiserweight division if they wanted to actually bring it back. But let's pretend for a minute that WWE actually made a good decision for once, and they decided that they were going to do something with the Intercontinental Championship division. They were going to use it as a division that was exciting for fans, true red meat fans of the product, similar to the NXT fan base. And what I mean by that is that you are going to have open competition for the Intercontinental Championship and an exciting division that featured stars like Kevin Owens, Dean Ambrose, perhaps, if Dean's not headed for a world championship run in the future. Um, guys like AJ Styles, for example, Chris Jericho, if he wants to come back and work again uh, in the future after WrestleMania, Neville, when he returns from injury. I mean, they have a real, I mean, Finn Balor, whenever he makes it up to the main roster, hopefully soon. So they could use a lot of these NXT guys as well. And a lot of guys that might not fit the size fetish profile for Vince McMahon, put them in this division. It would elevate the title and it would be very exciting and good for the product as well. I absolutely would. I mean, they, they can do a lot to try and give different parts of their product, um, different types of uh, USPs to try and appeal to different elements of their fan base. I mean, not all fans are interested in five-star matches. There will be some who care more about characters and entrances and uh, gimmicks, um, and great matches are uh, lower down their list of uh, considerations when they uh, decide who they like and who they don't like, whereas you get other fans um, that judge talent purely on how great they are at having um, hot wrestling matches. Um, so there's no reason why WWE can't cater to their different sections of the fan base um, using uh, the f titles as focal points. And um, that's certainly uh, a very good idea. Um, and I think that's, that's something they should look at because one of my uh, kind of observations is that in the first six months of 2015, I thought the WWE in-ring product was the hot it had been, hottest rather, it had been uh, for years. It really, really was good. Almost every week on TV, um, we were seeing great matches. And as we went later into 2015, that started to dry up. And again, coming into early 2016, we've seen a fair few good matches, but hardly any great matches. And um, that's a shame because the talent roster in terms of uh, the ability to work great matches is as deep as it has ever, ever been. Um, so they're really um, not fulfilling the potential of the roster as a collective. Um, and by looking to use one of the titles, both of the secondary titles, um, to really uh, be, as I say, a focal point for hot matches and great matches with some of the more unfancied talents, um, then that would be a really productive way of getting those titles over and in a roundabout way, um, getting those less fancied or underappreciated talents over as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's something they should definitely use to their advantage right now because um, even if they don't want to push some of these guys, even if they don't want to put um, Kevin Owens in the main event scene, the main, main event scene 
Uh, he's still a guy that could be a real standard bearer for the Intercontinental Championship uh, in the way that a Mr. Perfect was for the Intercontinental Championship, in the way that a Bret Hart was for the Intercontinental Championship. And I think that's exactly what guys like Sami Zayn are capable of as well. Guys like Finn Balor are capable of. There's so much depth just waiting to come up from NXT. I'd love to see Samoa Joe in, the, in a program for the IC title. If you're not going to take these guys seriously enough to put them in the main event picture and have them contending for the world heavyweight title, then let's make one of these divisions mean something again. I have zero confidence it's going to happen with the U.S. title. It's lost whatever prestige it earned after the belt came off of John Cena, but the Intercontinental title still means something. It's meaning something right now in the possession of Kevin Owens, and it can really mean something if Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn tear the house down for that title at WrestleMania. The last match I want to talk about before we move on to Monday Night Raw, of course, was the World Heavyweight Championship up for grabs between the King of Kings, Triple H, and the leader of the Asane Asylum, the lunatic fringe, Dean Ambrose. Um, this match was all over the place. I got to say it was one of Dean Ambrose's best performances uh, I give this match an A. I mean, not just for effort, but for storytelling, for the excitement, the enthusiasm, the dusty finish where referee John Cone had to call the decision off in a three count because Dean Ambrose's legs were or his feet were under the bottom rope. So the place pops again for another false finish as they think Dean Ambrose is about to win the title, just like he supposedly did against Seth Rollins last year. And it gets called off once again. Triple H eventually gets the victory. I thought this was the match of the night, and it should have been. And I have to give props to Triple H. For a guy who's in his late 40s, he can still work. And they put on roughly a 25-minute match, and I thought it was very, very good. Oh, yeah. Easily match of the night. Um, as you say, Triple H had a, a really good performance uh, for a guy of his age. Um, one of his best matches, possibly his best match since uh, the match against Daniel Bryan um, some two or three years back so at WrestleMania. So that was uh, really pleasing to see uh, going into WrestleMania. And Dean Ambrose really proved the point. Um, you know, there are some doubters of Dean Ambrose who feel he doesn't belong, uh, you know, in the main event picture, who perhaps feel that, he can't really hack it at that level. And uh, certainly on the basis of this match, he showed he absolutely does belong. And if the WWE decides at some point in the future that, okay, let's get behind this guy, let's push him, let's build him up for a title run and put the title on him, I'm absolutely certain based on this match that he could uh, justify having the belt put on him and he could become a successful world champion in the future. Um, it was really, really good. Um, he certainly pulled his weight. He certainly by no means was carried to a great match. Um, they both worked their asses off. And, uh, yeah, the only funny thing was that the foot really wasn't under the rope. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> I know it. Um, it, was, it was really funny on Raw where they tried to demonstrate actually it was uh, by putting that kind of line uh, to show, yeah, it was under the rope, but no, the, the line was a good several inches into the ring away from where the ropes uh, would otherwise fall. Um, you know, you know they, they, could of... have, they could have shot on that a little bit, Mo. They had an opportunity there. They could have, um, they could have did a shoot on that later on and said, you know, listen, we got to question this referee's decision. Is this triple H once again, 
using his power and authority to keep the title. I mean, it would only serve to help protect Ambrose if they're building Triple H as a heel anyway, and that would have been a great way for them to cover uh, the mistake. Well, that's right. Absolutely. Um, you know, it was a great kind of get out from that by saying, okay, well, I didn't really have my foot under the rope, but because the referee was scared of, uh, um, you know, counting against his boss, um, he um, took the coward's way out and said the foot was under. And, uh, you know, it certainly would have helped protect Dean Ambrose. And as I tweeted um, on Twitter um, after that match, um, my my son said um, Dean Ambrose is dumb um, because he always managed to find a way to lose in these bank, big matches. And uh, I think WWE needs to have a look at that. And that's a more general point that with the faces that they do build up, um, you know, if they keep on losing the big matches, uh, you know, it's hard for the fans to take them seriously as bona fide main eventers. And Bray Wyatt's suffering from the exact same problem where on so many occasions in these bigger matches, he loses. And so if that happens, then nobody's going to believe that they can get over against the likes of Triple H and Brock Lesnar. Well, as as the road dog said, wins and losses don't matter. I guess we have to remember that. <laughs> so, you know, they don't matter. Try, saying, try telling that to Holly Holm. Um, yeah. you know. <laughs> or Ronda Rousey, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's pivot to uh, Monday Night Raw, uh, which took place from uh, one of my favorite cities all over the world, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, the, a great city, great sports city. I, I, I would say the best sports city in America, but this was not even close to being the best Monday Night Raw of 2016. And unfortunately, we're only three months into the year. Um, you know, we're on the road to WrestleMania here, folks, and they've got to do a better job of creating a compelling television product that will get people to tune in for, for WrestleMania. Uh, now, I know that they've almost sold all their tickets, so they're going to go ahead and they're going to take care of business there. But um, I guess they're not that concerned with pay-per-view buys anymore because now they have the network, and they're actually going to be giving away this WrestleMania to new subscribers, which makes me wonder why I continue to pay $9.99 a month for the last two years when it seems like every event, including their biggest event of all time, in their own words, is going to be given away for free. But nevertheless, I digress. Let's talk about Raw. Um, so Monday Night Raw starts with Dolph Ziggler showing that he can stand up to the authority and that he wants a match with Triple H. We saw Roman Reigns return from injury, and I believe he struck Triple H with a, uh, with a television set, which was kind of hilarious. Um, Ryback had a terrible promo, I believe. Um, set up an uninteresting match between him and Kalisto for the United States title. Um, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens failed to maintain their intensity between each other, which I was a little disappointed in. Uh, and then we also had the much hyped up confrontation between Shane McMahon and The Undertaker, which I think once again uh, was another opportunity blundered by WWE to use The Undertaker. They've used The Undertaker in two segments now. And I feel like both of those segments have fallen flat. And I don't feel like it's particularly the Undertaker's fault. I mean, he's only working with the material that they're giving him and that they're forcing him to participate in. Uh, what were your highlights from Monday Night Raw? Was there anything that stood out to you um, and your general impressions about the momentum uh, of WWE going into WrestleMania? Well, my overall view of the show is that it was a good show. Um, but this stage of the game in WrestleMania season 
two, three weeks out from WrestleMania, it needed to be a great show, and it wasn't. If you think back to uh, Raw's past um, in the lead-up to WrestleMania's over previous years, the storylines, the creativity almost reaches a crescendo, and uh, they really hit their creative peak. They, re- they kind of hit that arc, and there was no signs of that, really. Um, you know, the returns that we expected um, were, were there, and, um, you know, there was no great surprise that uh, Roman Reigns came out and uh, made his comeback and uh, left uh, the champion Triple H lane, um, and, um, you know, that that was quite predictable. Albeit the way that it was done was quite good, and it certainly helped uh, Roman Reigns to come over a bit better than he did on his last couple of occasions that we saw him on Raw. Um, and some of the wrestling on the show was good, especially the match between Triple H and Dolph Ziggler. Um, but given we are so close to WrestleMania, um, and these types of shows should be really getting everyone truly, truly pumped. Um, it didn't really achieve that, I'm afraid. And uh, they need to really, really up their game um, from SmackDown and then Raw uh, onwards. So uh, they really need to do better because if they don't, um, albeit some of the matches on the WrestleMania card are quite strong, and we'll come on to that later on. Um, they need to do more than that, and it's the storylines that really will help to create that interest and intrigue um, to get the fans really into those matches, and um, the storylines just aren't doing it at the moment for me. You know, the, you bring up an interesting point, and, and allow me to elaborate and shoot on something for, for a minute. So I do another podcast every day uh, with Brad Gilmore, who's been on this show before, And our podcast, we cover pro wrestling and sports entertainment, but we also cover a plethora of other topics. And one thing that I've noticed with that show and other shows that I've done is that wrestling shows are underperforming other podcasts and other shows. And I think it's because there's a lack of enthusiasm about the product right now. We know other friends that we have through the Anfield Index, folks that we we, we share a, a WhatsApp group with. Um, and, and several other avenues where I talk to people and they are unhappy and they are dissatisfied with the product for WWE. And some of them are quite frankly, downright disinterested and completely, um, checked out of the road to WrestleMania and may not even watch the show at all, even though it's going to be offered for free to new subscribers. Now, what, what I find interesting about that is that at the same time, WWE is still going to sell out this venue in Dallas. And I don't know if they're going to sell it out because of the spectacle or if because people who will be traveling to Dallas are just a hardcore group of individuals, the the 1% or 2% of all the wrestling population out there that will show up for this show regardless of what they put on. They could put two trained monkeys in the ring and have them slap each other around, and they might show up for that. I mean, generally speaking, Mo. Have you seen the same sort of apathy, the same sort of, um, I don't want to say disgust, but just disapproval overall for what we've seen in the last few weeks and months? What can WWE do overall to, to change that and to create some enthusiasm again for this event? We're just two weeks out. Well, they have so many writers. They have so many people in the creative process. And if they can't between them... Um, get it right, then they really need to be asking themselves serious questions about the way in which they produce their product. 
and uh, you know there's some very smart people at the WWE and Triple H I consider one of those and surely he must watch this show and think to himself okay is this absorbing um, engaging television that you really want to see um, from week to week and if the answer to that is no then he's got to think about well why is that the case I'd be absolutely shocked and staggered if he watches this show and he thinks, yeah, this is absolutely must-see TV. It, it simply isn't. And I don't want to sound too negative because, you know, there are elements to this show which are, which are pretty good. Um, but, you know, the, the kind of overarching problem that we've talked about at length in the past is, you know, they're trying to write for three hours and they just haven't got enough good material for three hours. And so they've got to fill it with lots of stuff that really shouldn't be making TV. And um, as a result of that, um, we more often than not get treated to um, pretty substandard television. And, you know, we in the last few weeks have had some pretty good roars, but those have been more based on one-off uh, scenarios or situations, such as, for example, um, the Daniel Bryan retirement speech, which, you know, this, that's the kind of stuff you just can't be doing every week. And, uh, you know, they need to rewind the clock back at, to the Attitude Era and not necessarily to replicate what they were doing then, but look at what was so successful about the product then. Now, if you go back to the wrestling from that era, was it great? No, it wasn't. A lot of the matches on Raw back in the Attitude Era were really poor. They weren't great. They had good matches and some great matches from time to time, but the in-ring product wasn't that great. What really sold the product and what really drew the viewers in was the storytelling and the angles. And, um, you know, WWE needs to look at um, its whole creative process because its storytelling is really, really letting itself down. And there's a lack of creativity. Um, you know, it, it's just so predictable and so ordinary. Um, you know, even I could do a better job. And uh, I'm not the most uh, gifted person, person around when it comes to... Um, coming up with storylines and thinking laterally in that kind of way. So in answer to your question, then, um, they, 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 I can tell you that they need to look at their creative team because their creative team just simply isn't doing their job properly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Too many cooks in the kitchen, obviously, and mm. and too sterile of a product. I mean, that's one of the things that jumped out to me about the Roadblock show was that you had a considerable amount of wrestling on the show. You had a set that was dialed down and felt a little bit different. And, uh, and I thought that it came off much better than what we would see on Monday night raw. And they were still able to tell stories. They didn't necessarily move anything along all that much, but again, that's not what the purpose of that show was, but in a format like that, they could move it along if they wanted to, um, you know, and, th and that's the thing is that I'm, I'm trying to be more positive with the show, but I, I, I do understand people out there that are unhappy with the product and i do understand that there is a lack of enthusiasm and i understand where that lack of enthusiasm comes from regarding the lead up to this wrestlemania and it's something that they're definitely going to have to look at uh at some point they're going to have to address it because as it stands right now even though they're trying to put all their eggs into the network basket at the end of the day the great majority of their revenue comes entirely from television and that means that their ratings still matter, whether they'll admit that or not. With that being said, let's move on from WWE and let's talk about some other news 
regarding Lucha Underground, a product that we both enjoy. And big news coming out about Lucha Underground because, Mo, they are now available on iTunes. So for people that don't have the El Rey Network, they can now find Lucha Underground on iTunes. And this is a huge deal. Um, for $34.99 in standard def or $44.99 in high def, you can download every episode from season one of Lucha Underground. And four of the current episodes from season two are now available at the same price uh, on, uh, on iTunes. And there are also some rumors out there that they are negotiating right now with Netflix. And this would be a huge game changer for all wrestling promotions if Lucha Underground can break through this wall, not only getting onto iTunes, but getting onto Netflix, it could change everything. I had a recent interview, uh, as a matter of fact, with Eric Bischoff, in which Eric talked about what he would do if he was going to introduce a wrestling promotion in 2016, both here in the States and globally. And he said that a comprehensive digital strategy would be the best way forward. And it looks like Lucha Underground is breaking through uh, and is trying to do that, Mo. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really encouraging. I mean, when I watched season one of Lucha Underground last year, I was really, really impressed by the show. The production values uh, were so impressive. And, you know, we were just talking about the lack of creativity um, where the WWE is concerned. Well, it's the complete opposite um, where Lucha Underground is concerned. Um, it's so impressive the way that um, they not only book their product but actually present storylines and it's so different to what we've normally seen from wrestling shows and in some ways you can almost say it's not a wrestling show it's um, an entertainment kind of drama series which happens to feature wrestling um, that, that's one way that you know you could easily describe it as, and um, it, it's it's a original kind of concept I feel, and something that works extremely well. And I'm glad that they're now looking at opportunities to um, expand their reach uh, beyond just the El Rey Network because that alone, unfortunately, isn't enough to pay the bills. So hopefully, with expanding into iTunes and potentially onto Netflix, that could be a real game changer for them. And if it does, it could potentially pave the way if that's successful for other promotions um, and they you know, could become quite successful on a massive forum such as Netflix. Yeah, which is incredible that we haven't seen that happen on Netflix sooner with other promotions having their product on there. But I'm not sure exactly you know, how, what steps you would even take to head in that direction, but it's obvious that Lucha Underground knows those steps to take. And listen, let's be fair. I mean, they've spent a lot of money on, on producing this product, and they've lost a lot of money on producing this product. Um, but, but they're looking at it from a big picture and a long-term perspective in that we're going to make a huge investment up front on this for the first couple of seasons. Obviously, it's been greenlit for a third season, so we know we're going to get at least three seasons of this. But now with the additional revenue that iTunes is going to open up and potentially Netflix as well, this could be huge business for them, and it could change the game. I mean, it could change it not just for Lucha Underground, but for other promotions as well, which um, is my segue into this promotion, Mo, because mm. I know that you have some news regarding TNA Wrestling. Recently, TNA Wrestling posted their lowest rating, in history on pop TV of about 200,000 viewers. What are you hearing about TNA? Well, what I'm hearing is that um, TNA is looking for new investors 
uh, to keep the promotion going. Um, <laughs> as you'll be aware, um, the promotion is run by one Dixie Carter and um, her family, um, the Carter family based out of Texas, um, have for a good 12, 13 years now been bankrolling TNA and um, covering its losses um, in those years when it has incurred losses. And Dixie's dad, Bob Carter, has now said, enough is enough. Um, there's other things I'd rather spend my money on than um, keeping your vanity project alive. And uh, that that's um, disappointing for Dixie and um, hopefully some good news for TNA because I've talked at length on um, Twitter and also um, in magazines about my feelings on Dixie Carter in that she is completely out of her depth. I mean, her running a wrestling promotion um, is like me trying to run NASA. It just shouldn't be happening. And um, it just absolutely boggles my mind that somebody who's got no clue about the business, no idea about discerning between good wrestling and bad wrestling um, can be running one of the bigger wrestling promotions around. And the demise of TNA over the last few years, albeit it's not dead, uh, but it's as good as, is purely down to her because she has made one bad decision after another, after another. And, um, you know, she can't even see that. She lacks complete uh, self-awareness and, you know, she I think she generally thinks she's done a great job over the last 10, 12 years when the truth is she's done anything but. Yeah. I mean, when, when, when the truth is, talents have gone on the record and said that um, there were periods of time where they weren't paid for weeks or months on end, where people are working and not being compensated for their work. Taz even commented on an instance in which they had to call him at his house and ask him why he wasn't at a pay-per-view. And he said, well, it's because I hadn't been paid. You know, yeah. I mean, it was to the point where, where talents were on Twitter tweeting at Dixie Carter trying to find out where their money was. I mean, this is what other people have said. And these are, these are examples that were taking place three, four, and five years ago. I'm shocked, honestly, that TNA is still in business. I mean, TNA to me is a damaged brand. It's an extremely damaged brand, and I don't know who is going to invest in this. And if I'm somebody that has the capital to invest in a television product and I happen to be a wrestling fan because that's what they're going to have to find. They're going to have to they're going to have to find somebody who has capital. They're going to have to find somebody who hopefully has television connections because pop TV is not even available in HD. And after they found that, this person also has to be a wrestling fan. Well, wouldn't you be better served investing your money in a product like Lucha Underground? <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. that that that's the future of professional wrestling. Like what Ring of Honor is doing right now. They've just upgraded uh, their sets recently, and they, they've, they've upgraded their look. That's the future of professional wrestling. Even what we're doing at Reality of Wrestling, that's the future of professional wrestling because you see a future there. You see a good, stable brand that can show you progress over time and has a plan going forward. I don't know what TNA's plan is. The only plan that I've seen from TNA from, from, from pencil to paper has been a plan of regression because that's what they've done. They've regressed from a large network to a smaller network to a smaller network. Their audience continues to get smaller. Their product on television continues to get worse. The quality's not getting better. It's getting worse. And unfortunately, there are several very talented performers over there who are trapped right now. And they need to get out. 
and they need to get out as soon as possible because I'm telling you, the rats are on the ship. The violins are playing on the deck of the Titanic. The Titanic <laughs> is TNA, Mo, I'm telling you. It's hit the iceberg already, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it's the, the Blackberry of pro wrestling, isn't it? It's just a, a brand that is absolutely beyond help and hope. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a sad kind of thing to see because, you know, as you say, there are some talented people there. And, you know, some of what they do is, is pretty good, but it, it just doesn't mean anything whatsoever because... It's a brand that is so damaged and has lost complete uh, credibility that nobody takes the company seriously. Uh, nobody really makes much of an effort to uh, emotionally invest themselves in it because um, they've done so much to piss so many fans off over too long a period. So they only have themselves to blame, and Dix in particular, because she was completely out of her depth um, right from day one. You know, if she had any sense whatsoever, she should have appointed somebody to run the wrestling side of things for her. She should have just been um, there to sign the checks and, uh, and and watch the product and enjoy it. And um, the fact that, you know, she took an active part in running the company was probably the worst thing that she did. And, you know, it's quite telling that the Carter family all these years has kept Dixie Carter well away from their Panda Energy business. Um, and I think there's been a very good reason for that in that they don't really rate her as, as a corporate person who can uh, work effectively in a, in a large company. And so TNA has been their multi-million dollar diversion for Dixie to keep her well away from uh, the family business, I'm afraid. Um, but I don't know how much longer they can do that. Well, her biggest issue is that Dixie Carter's biggest fan is Dixie Carter. And um, and and unfortunately, that's it. And and I, I really think that um, if ownership had gone in a different direction, if control had gone in a different direction, the product was there. There was a period, and TNA did have a period, where I really felt like between the in-ring product, some of the talents that they had there at a time when they had Samoa Joe in his prime, they had Kurt Angle in his prime, they had Christian in his prime, uh, they they were doing some great business, and it was a good show. They had Booker T. They had Kevin Nash. They had Scott Steiner when he could still work. I mean, they had great talent. They had superstars on their program, and they fumbled that opportunity. And I really believe that the window has closed on them. Not only do I think the window has closed, I think the window closed, the storm doors closed on top of the window, and the barn doors closed on top of that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no well, way listen, before we get out of here we got to talk about this some big news regarding the wwe hall of fame a couple of announcements have been made official other ones have been made in a wrestlemania magazine including stan hansen uh, they haven't even announced that on television yet at least i don't think but they announced it in this wrestlemania magazine uh what are your thoughts on on some of these announcements that are now being made official we've got uh, miss jackie going in We've got Stan Hansen going in. We've got the big boss man going in as well. Uh, your thoughts on, on what we're seeing from the Hall of Fame class of 2016? Well, it looks like the uh, leak uh, about the inductees largely proved to be correct in that um, a lot of the names that we first revealed on this show uh, based on those leaks some weeks ago um, have all been announced um, week after week over the last several weeks. And as usual, it's a mixed bag of people who deserve to go in alongside people who absolutely should never in any million years be a part of the Hall of Fame. 
And, um, you know, you talk about someone like Stan and Larry Hansen, one of Texas' uh, greatest ever wrestling talents uh, being inducted, thoroughly well-deserved, a real, absolute, genuine legend of the business, great worker, great personality, great draw, um, really larger-than-life character. And the fact that WrestleMania is in Texas is fitting because, um, you know, Stan Hansen um, is a... Uh, a proud Texan and um, a very worthwhile um, inductee, as are uh, the fabulous Freebirds. You know, absolutely delighted that um, those guys are going in. You know, they just burned um, up Dallas, and world class was at one point, you know, arguably the hottest territory in the whole United States um, around 83, 84. Uh, so, really happy about them. Miss Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline, though, good grief. I mean, what are they thinking putting <laughs> her in? Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Do you think yeah, that it, she would Do you think that she would be eligible at any stage to go in? Uh, or, I mean, it, I, what, what, what is the decision-making behind this? What's the process in, in, in making the decision to put her in? Because there are many other divas in my mind that are considerably more worthy of this honor. Uh, at least first. And again, I mean, I don't know. This is their Hall of Fame, so they can put in whoever the hell they want. But you can't tell me she's more worthy of being in the Hall first than uh, somebody like Stacey Keebler, for example, or somebody like Sable, for example. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't. It's, um, again, perhaps due to the fact that they're in Texas and they're quite fancy having somebody from um, that part of the world. I think Jacqueline is from Texas, I believe. Um, I think she started out um, down in Texas before moving she up is. to Tennessee yeah. um, in the USWA. Um, so perhaps wanting to maintain that local link um, in terms of inductees um, into this year's Hall of Fame was perhaps part of the reason why she is um, on the uh, shortlist for this year. You know, she just doesn't belong. Um, she was never a top star. I think she was the WWF Women's Champion at one point for a brief she, period of time. She, she was. She was. And I, and I think that's the argument that some people could make on the other side. And I, I, I would say fair enough. Um, but I, 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 you know, in, in that she was the first female African-American Women's Champion. Uh, she was the first female Cruiserweight Champion, from what I'm being told as well. Um, so, you know, I could see, okay, she has these accomplishments. They're culturally significant. And for those reasons, we should put her in. But is she more deserving than some of those other names that I've mentioned before that? I don't believe that she is. I think this is a uh, it's a Texas thing. And uh, and that's the biggest uh, contributing factor in my mind. Well, yeah, that's right. But I mean, you know, if she's in, then, you know, if God, if, if somebody like um, Bertha Faye isn't inducted next year, I'll be sorely disappointed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about Big Boss Man. Uh, your your thoughts on the Big Boss Man induction. Do you think that was deserving? Well, the Boss Man was a great character, a uh, great gimmick, uh, worked some really good programs in the WWE, WWF, as it was um, in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, came in as a young guy in his mid-20s, actually, when I think he debuted in WWF, um, coming out of the UWF, Bill Watts UWF, out in the Midwest. And... Um, he was he was a great athletic super heavyweight, um, very very agile for a guy of his size. He was a, a legit six six or so, um, easily three fifty or more pounds, and uh, moved very quick, very light on his feet, and um, 
you know, some of his, his work was very good. Um, he was never a, a main event level worker, despite having worked a program early on with Hogan. Um, but, um, you know, certainly a guy they're really depending on. I mean, if you think back to uh, WWF television from the late 80s, early 90s, he was probably their most used guy. He was on TV every week, every show, all the time. Um, you know, you always go out there, had some good energetic squash matches. And, um, you know, he's a very light guy in the business as well. Um, very few people, if any, had a bad word to say about him. Um, and obviously had a, a decent running WCW as well. So, yeah, certainly more of an argument for somebody like the big Moss man um, to be inducted. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to see some recognition for him. Yeah, you know, some people have argued, uh, and we've even talked about it on this show, about whether or not the, the Godfather should have been inducted and whether he was eligible. And I'll let everybody formulate their own opinions on that. But in terms of the big boss man, a couple of things. Number one, um, you know, when, I, when I'm looking at how I'm going to judge whether someone's worthy of being in the Hall of Fame or not, number one, were they a memorable performer in any way? The big boss man was extremely popular. He had a great gimmick during the golden era of WWE. He also returned and had a nice run uh, as a, a super heel. Uh, in the Attitude Era. I mean, the things he did to Big Show, dragging his father's casket through the cemetery um, or taking Al Snow's dog and making uh, Chinese food out of him. I mean, just ridiculous. So, um, yeah, that was great. Did he have great feuds? He did. Uh, he had a good feud with the Big Show. He had a good feud with the Mountie. I mean, he had memorable times. Um, one of the biggest downsides was that period between 93 and 98 when he was in WCW. And he bounced around as Big Bubba and virtually wasn't really doing anything. But then he was able to come back to WWE, reignite his career, uh, and have a good period of time. Um, he's also a very well-respected guy in the business. And as you pointed out, for a super heavyweight, he was extremely athletic. And so for those reasons alone, I think, yes, he should be, um, he should be in the Hall of Fame. He was one of the most marketable characters of the late 80s and early 90s in WWE. So uh, I think you have to look at that and say, okay, and then he comes back during the Attitude Era and has another nice run. Very rarely do you see guys doing that um, in both eras and being able to make it. And Big Boss Man was one of those uh, those rare uh, examples. So for that reason, I think he should be in there. Uh, one other note I want to make about Stan Hansen really quick before we get into our closing thoughts. Um, for... Uh, newer viewers of professional wrestling now with the uh, the WWE network being available and uh, other ways of seeing this you have to look up Stan Hansen and Vader okay because Stan Hansen and Vader that is one of the greatest rivalries in the history of professional wrestling these two beat the shit out of each other they beat the living hell out of each other all over the world including in Japan where they had that fight and it was a fight in which Vader's eye pops out of his head, and he has to put his eye back in his eye socket. I mean, that's that's what these two did to each other. So Stan Hansen, I think of everybody in this Hall of Fame class next to Sting, is the most deserving person to be in there, and it's long overdue, and I'm glad to see he's in there. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. So with that being said, my friend, another show in the books this week. Any final thoughts, anything to plug, anything coming up for you, Mo, that you want to tell the listeners about? Well, um, I've been attending more UK shows, and um, once again, I've got to sing the praises of Will Ospreay. Uh, 
I, I just saw a couple of matches um, two weekends ago, uh, which Osprey worked here in the Midlands part of the UK, and they were absolutely amazing. And it's no wonder that um, New Japan have called him up, and um, he's actually getting a shot for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Um, against, I think it's Kushida. So that's really, really impressive for somebody who is only two, three years into the business, only 22 years of age, to get a call up from arguably the second biggest promotion in the world and get a title shot on his very first tour in Japan. That's almost unheard of. That's almost unprecedented. Um, it just shows the reputation that this guy has. And I'm actually hoping uh, to possibly get an interview with him uh, for the Wrestling Observer website um, before he heads out to Japan next month. And uh, he's, he's, he's such an immense talent, um, possibly the best talent um, that has come through um, in terms of speed in which he's become a great worker since Kurt Angle debuted um, in the late 90s. So um, that's how impressed I am with him. And um, wow. If you can find any matches of his on YouTube, and there are a few about, um, I urge you to check him out because he he will become a huge star uh, two, three years down the line. And it's more a question of when rather than if he will end up in the WWE. I know the WWE, in fact, uh, were interested in bringing him in for their summer cruiserweight tournament, uh, which we'll be talking more about in the coming weeks. Um, but um, he actually chose to uh, go in New Japan. And uh, I think that's a wise move, and that's quite a brave move as well. And I'm sure he'll be very successful out there. Yeah, and, and I think he'll be better for it as well. Uh, because right now there's a vacuum in New Japan for new stars to rise up to the top of the roster with WWE rating so much talent around the world, including their roster specifically. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a great opportunity. And that, that also inspired an idea uh, as well. Uh, for a future show, we, we need to pick a few of these prospects, you know, because right now, and I wouldn't even call him a prospect anymore, but for American fans of sports entertainment, professional wrestling, perhaps he's not on their radar yet. And that's Kenny Omega. I mean, again, what this guy is doing in Japan right now is simply incredible. And I'm telling everybody he is going to be a massive star here in the United States at some point. And so perhaps a future episode of the index, we can dedicate to some of these, uh, these prospects as well. Uh, like the one that you've just spoken of, because uh, there's some great talent out there, and I know that it's going to blossom into superstardom uh, in the near future. Indeed. Indeed. So with that being said, uh, another great show on the books. Thanks to everybody for uh, for listening to the Pro Wrestling Index. I know we took some time off, but um, we're, we're reformatting the show a little bit. We want, we want to make the show um, a little bit faster of a pace, a little bit more engrossing for all of our listeners and give everybody something that they can sink their teeth into every week for just around an hour. Uh, I just want to plug a couple of things very quickly. I do a show five days a week called Your Opinion Doesn't Matter. It's available at opinionpodcast.com. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Stitcher Radio. You can also get it on uh, TuneIn Radio. And um, we have two great interviews available right now, one with the one and only Bruce Pritchard, a guy who was the right-hand man for Vince McMahon and worked in World Wrestling Entertainment for 22 years. And uh, it is an 80-minute uninterrupted interview in studio with him, and he's got some incredible stories. So I highly suggest for anybody who hasn't heard it to go check it out if you're a fan of Bruce Pritchard's. And then as well, we also have uh, a very, very interesting interview with the one and only Eric Bischoff, and uh, his resume doesn't need to be repeated, and you can find those right now at opinionpodcast.com. Eric Bischoff also talks about 
um, his strategy for rolling out a wrestling promotion in 2016. And it sounds very similar to what Lucha Underground is doing right now. So go check that out. Um, with that being said, check out what we're doing at realityofwrestling.com. And other than that, as always, thanks to Gags for the platform. Thank you, Mo. And we'll be back next week with more of PWI. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and airbnb allows me to do that when i was in california recently i rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.